and welcome to the Meeple in a Game Stack podcast, a podcast all about board games, whether it's getting into them, getting the most out of them, or just having a good time. This is podcast number 41, and as always, I am your host, Mitch Brown. And on today's podcast, first off, we're going to be answering another community question. Then we're going to be talking a bit about what we've been playing recently and got quite a few good ones to talk about there. And then we're going to be talking about our feature game, Ashes Reborn, Rise of the Phoenixborn. So first off, the community question. And this one is again from Jenna, and she asks, If a rule is unclear, or if you can't find the answer to a question you have during the game, what do you do? And this is a great question, Jenna, and it's something to consider if you are the game... If you're the board game rules teacher, this is your responsibility. Functionally, and to be able to learn everything, you don't have to know everything 100% before you start playing, but you do have to know where to find things and in a decent manner. And if you're the one who's taught the game and knows the rules the best, a huge thing to consider in this is time or the pace of play and not interrupting the flow of it too much. So, depending on how important and I, I guess the main thing there is, depending on how important the call is, if it's a very competitive game and you're going to be playing for another couple hours or something, yes, absolutely, you need to find the letter of the law, make it clear, so that not only so that moving forward you know what to do, but also so that the outcome of this game is, you know, f- fair. If it's a little 20-minute card game, sometimes I will just say with what I think is the best way to go or what the table sort of finding consensus with all the players and then just kind of move on and go with that then of course after the game yeah go look up that rule and make sure that you know for the future how these things go i guess and the hard part is finding between those two extremes where this instance is for you and whether it's fine to oh i'm just going to grab the manual take maybe 20-30 seconds to find the right page, give it a little read, and then be like, oh, okay, so it says blah, 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 this person, blue player goes first. So yeah, first off, I guess the manual and part of learning the game is knowing where to find everything, even if you don't know every single specific minutia of the rule set perfectly, you should know how to find that quickly. Sometimes, games won't even have that in the The manual, maybe it's not clear, maybe it's something they slightly omitted, or it's such an edge case that they didn't put anything in. Once again, if you can't find it in the manual, you've already looked, it's still worth evaluating whether it's worth stopping the game to find this. If so, I actually find that Googling works quite well. I mean, that sounds a little, not to be dismissive or flippant, but actually online, if you've had a question about a game, it's likely that someone else has. So if you type in specifically your question, complete with question mark, generally you can find a thread or a forum, usually from BoardGameGeek, where someone is asking that specific question. And yeah, this is actually a really great way. I don't think I've ever asked a specific question where I couldn't find at least some version of it and where there was discussion and maybe a final, hey, it says with this rule, do this. And then in the extreme circumstances, which is very, you know, not very often, if I still can't find something, I've checked the manual, I've looked over, I've done maybe a little Googling and still couldn't find a satisfactory answer, I will then just kind of put it out to the table, ask everybody what we think is fair, and continue playing the game that way and make that the rule for the rest of the game. 
Then after, of course, try to find it so that you know for the future. You can tell people after the game, oh, no, we actually did it totally wrong, this, this, and this. But if you're making the decision to kind of put it out to the table, you need to stick with that for the rest of the game for, you know, to make it fair. If you say, okay, yeah, uh, let's just do that and do that, and then you keep looking, and then you find the right answer and then change it after, that's kind of unfair to the player that it affected, because 90% of the time when these questions come up, it's when one player wants to do something and the other player doesn't want that to happen, so there's usually the tied interests into it. It's not usually just someone musing about the rule set, it's one party wants something, or wants to, you know use the rules or something in a way and you're not sure if that's possible so yeah that's what i do that's what's worked for me and i think that's a solid plan of attack yeah consider who you're playing with how competitive and how much investment all the players have in the game and you know remember to try to keep it fun it's not worth spending five minutes looking up a rule for a 20 minute game and likewise, you don't want to have wasted three hours of a strategy because a rule came up and you just didn't look it up. So it's a balance thing, and though that's what works for me. So hope that answers your question, Jenna. And thanks so much for your question. To you listening, if you have any questions for the podcast, if you want to throw what would I do in a scenario, or just advice for when you're playing board games, shoot us a question. Meepleinagamestack at gmail.com. And now moving on to what we've been playing recently. First off, going to touch on some games that we've already heard a little bit about. Played a little more of Railroad Inc. Challenge, Lush Green, designed by Hjalmar Hack and Lorenzo Silva, published by Horrible Guild. And after further exploring, I think my initial gut reaction was kind of right. I think the new rules and systems are great for increasing the interactiveness between players with the different challenges people are going for and trying to get there first. But with the extra, I guess, fiddliness, there's, you know, three different kind of icons you can get and rules, the challenges, and then even the difference in the dice, which seem to be much more challenging and kind of give you more frustrating pieces. I found I didn't like this one nearly as much as the original, or just Railroad Inc., the, I guess, first one. Which, as much as it, yeah, there's not a whole lot of interaction between players, but that kind of wasn't the point of it. It was a very, not necessarily casual, but I found it to be a very relaxing sort of puzzle experience. And with the extra complication of this version, with the extra interactiveness, I don't think that really, it doesn't improve what Railroad Inc. did best, at least for me. So I found Railroad Inc. Challenge to be just a little disappointing and not nearly. I didn't think it improved the design of Railroad Inc. I do still think it's a good game, so if you're interested and love Railroad Inc., maybe you've played Railroad Inc. to death, this could be perfect for you, or if you wanted it to be a little more competitive, this could absolutely be for you, but yeah, just found it more... It just didn't capitalize on what Railroad Inc. did best. Another one that we have touched on before, got to explore a little bit more of Cloudspire. The tower defense-like, MOBA-like sort of game designed by Josh Carlson, Adam Carlson, and Josh Wilgus, published by Chip Theory Games. And this behemoth of a game, of course, has very deluxe parts as per the bar set by other Chip Theory games. And upon reading the rules and kind of looking into it for the first time, I found it to be a little frustrating and just a huge 
learning curve to it. There's a lot to this game, and I found it to be a little intimidating. Upon diving into it a little further, I kind of found it was similar to Too Many Bones, where it sounds like it's a lot. It sounds like it's such a huge, complicated game, but once you kind of take a moment to kind of parse and uh, compartmentalize, I guess, the rules and break it into little chunks, it's really not anything mind-boggling or terribly complicated. It's a pile of little rules. Yes, there's a lot of little things to remember, but once you kind of get the hang of it, it actually flows pretty well. It's certainly not a fast game. My play of it took, I think, three hours, maybe a bit more. There's a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of systems, but I actually found it to be... I, w I just was pleasantly surprised with how enjoyable the play experience of it was. The different ways that you can upgrade your stronghold and kind of increase your troops or level up certain troops or other troops or get certain abilities. The choice you have of every wave choosing what units you're going to spawn and what heroes maybe, or if you're just going to upgrade your towers, or it gives a huge amount of experimentation and unique ways to play it, as well as the incredible asymmetricality of the different factions that you play in it. Each one plays radically different, and I think I'm going to really enjoy exploring them. This was really a big surprise for me. I, on first blush, was a little disappointed with how fiddly it was, but once you've kind of dove into the sea of little rules and keywords and stuff and get a little bit of familiarity with it, it's really not bad at all. And yeah, I just was tremendously pleasantly surprised. So I'm going to keep exploring this and we'll see what else I discover with it. But yeah, just really enjoying it and pleasantly surprised that that is the case. Another great one from Chip Theory Games. And I, I'm continually surprised by, I guess, board games and my ability to kind of parse them and check them out. This was the first case where I had high hopes, was a little disappointed, and then actually it rallied for me on the kind of diving into it. So, wow, just really, really interesting. And one I'm sure you'll hear more about. So those are the ones that I have uh, talked about uh, briefly on the podcast before, but I also got the chance to play a couple new ones. And first off for those is Don't Get Got, designed by Zoe Lee and James Vaughan, published by Big Potato Games. So I glossed over Railroad Inc. and uh, Cloudspire, but Don't Get Got, I guess I should tell you a bit more about it. Don't Get Got is a game of sort of tricking your friends, but calling it a board game is a little loose as there's no board or chips, really. It's no dice, no meeples. It's kind of, I guess, a party game. I'm not sure, but it's a really unique experience in that you do it kind of in the background of doing other things. It's a perfect, I mean, it's a perfect party game, but it's also a perfect uh, road trip game or camping weekend, which was the case for me. Anywhere where you're going to have a group of friends who's going to be together for a certain amount of time. But what you actually do in Don't Get Got is everyone is given a little wallet. In these, you'll have six slips of paper. On them will be a task which I don't want to give away, but I'll use the example that's in the manual. Say the paper says, drum your fingers on a table and get another player to join in with you. And that's one of your assignments. You've got six of them. So if you can do that, you drum your fingers and hope that one of your friends joins along. Maybe you've timed it well and it's a super catchy song that you're all into. 
and someone joins you, you immediately turn to them and can go, you got got, or I did it, or nailed it, because that's what it says on the paper. You have achieved one of your missions, you open up your little wallet, you can take out the thing and show the person, who's of course going to be like, no, and you get to flip that over to its nailed side, having successfully kind of fooled your friend into doing a thing. However, maybe you weren't as subtle as you thought, and they look at you like, why are you drumming? And if they turn to you and ask, is this for the game, then you have failed it, and you actually have to take that same slip out and turn it to the failed side. You've failed one of your six objectives. And that's the game, the first one to three wins. And it's a really interesting little social thing where it kind of adds a little bit of a very slight suspense to the evening as people are trying to fool each other and not be fooled by each other. There's a little that gunfight sort of tension, but since it's meant to be played over an evening, inevitably people will kind of forget and it's kind of a recurring, it's almost like you've created an in-joke for the evening with this little game and it's a great thing to kind of stretch out over other things. It was a really good time and I had a great experience with it. Of course I didn't win. <laughs> I got close, but alas, shamelessly fooled. And with larger groups, it does kind of make it a little more competitive because, of course, they can be fooling other people and it's not quite... It tends to shorten the game, I think, with a bigger group of people because, of course, some people will just get ones that they know that they can do or have a combination of ones that they find a little more easy for them or etc. Or they just try really hard and move around the group to kind of fool different people. So I think with a smaller group, it could take a little longer. I do think this is one of the kind of party games where the goal or winning of the game is should just be up to you. I found a lot of maybe like question games or dilemma games where it's like, would you do this or this? And they'll have a scoring system. And usually you can just ignore that and do the activity. I think this one, depending on how quick of a game, I would say maybe do more or less you have to achieve or have a way to refresh your missions or something. But as it was, I pitched this at the start of the weekend, and it didn't it didn't make it past the first night. We played it a couple times with people getting the objectives fairly quickly. And maybe a, a suggestion here, after our very quick first game, I would add the addendum of maybe, if you're playing with couples who know each other incredibly well, maybe don't let them fool each other, maybe go a no-couples rule, because... Man, we had a really quick game with a friend's mom who actually just got her dad, like, immediately in a very, very quick game. Uh, so maybe that's a house rule to consider, but this game is really interesting. And it's kind of a small little thing. I would definitely recommend it. And I look forward to playing it more. And that is Don't Get Got. The next game that we had the chance to try was Startups, designed by Jun Sasaki and published by Oink Games. And Startups is a Oink game, so of course it's a tiny little box, almost like a particularly big pack of gum or matchbox or something. And it is a wonderfully quick and light and fun and easy to teach game with just enough bitiness to make it nice and competitive. Basically, you're going to be playing with a hand of three cards. Each turn you pick up a card and put down a card. Where you pick up is either from the deck or you pick up from the market, which is kind of a little discard pile. With the market, though, if you ignore the market to draw from the deck, you have to pay into the market and put a coin, which ends up as your money for the end of the game, onto each card in the market to have ignored them. But if you're drawing a card and you grab from the market, you can grab ones that have coins on them and gain that coin. Yay. 
you then have to play a card, either throwing one out into the market or throwing one into your shares. And this is how you win the game is by having the most shares of the different of the six companies, which are all adorable animal names like Elephant Mars Travel and Giraffe Brewery. If you have the most Giraffe Brewery cards at the end of the game, the other players who have any of those cards of Giraffe Brewery have to pay you dividends for being the majority shareholder, and they have to pay the difference in ones that you have. And that's the game. You keep going until you run out of cards, and then at the end of the game, you just evaluate with the chance to put down the three cards in your hand as a surprise last three shares to maybe tip you over for a majority. And this game is very simple, very light, but it's also very interesting. The paying into the market and throwing away cards is kind of an interesting balance where you, of course, want to throw some away, but you also kind of are penalized for doing so in an interesting twist. The way you win through having the majority, that's nothing new, but you have to have the majority of a share that everyone has. The most popular ones, and therefore the hardest to get a majority in, are the ones that actually reward you the most, because if no one else has your giraffe beer shares, you have the majority, great, but no one is, you know, not a majority shareholder who has to pay you, so it's actually not worth anything. So this naturally gravitates everyone into the middle to the most popular shares and the hardest ones to get to kind of try to get the most, and it creates this wonderful competitiveness and kind of bitiness to the game. And games are super quick. This was literally an in-between activities. I was like, hey, do you want to try this one? Got some people, played three games in a row before the, you know, before we were ready to actually go do an event. It was just such a quick, light, and great game. The ramp-up time from Teach to playing to having fun is remarkably quick, and it's just a great little game that I very much look forward to playing more, but I, yeah, I would definitely recommend Startups. It's absolutely getting the Meeple in a GameStack Shelfworthy Award. It's worth having, <laughs> and it won't take up much space on your shelves. And now for our feature game, Ashes Reborn, Rise of the Phoenixborn, designed by Isaac Vega and published by Plaid Hat Games. So what Ashes Reborn, Rise of the Phoenixborn is, is, first off, <laughs> I guess I should explain that mouthful of a title, this is the second edition of Ashes, Rise of the Phoenixborn. And Lord knows, I kind of wish they'd just changed up the title a little bit. If it's Ashes, colon, Rise of the Phoenixborn, why is it not just Ashes, colon, Reborn? But they made it Ashes Reborn, colon, Rise of the Phoenixborn? Boy, which is super great to be typing and writing and saying a lot for, <laughs> for this review. But, name gripes aside, what it is is a two-player card game you play as dueling Phoenixborn. In the world of this game, the world has already ended, and now, as the world rebuilds itself, these Phoenixborn find that they are drawn to each other and gifted with powerful magics, and of course are coming together to try to steal the power of each other. How you'll actually play this game is through, through a deck of cards. You'll start with your card for your Phoenixborn, with their unique abilities, and a couple cards that are specific to them. From there, you can then play with their summons, which are kind of unique cards that actually don't go in your deck, and then your regular deck of cards. And through the course of the game, you'll play allies, monsters, quick spells, or slow spells to basically fight the other Phoenixborn. You 
uh, use all of these are to the end of being the last one standing, and thus the stronger and more powerful Phoenixborn. But I think the big twist here for this game, I mean, there's a few good twists that really elevate it for me, but I think the main one here is that instead of maybe like a card system or just a, a magic points system, at the start of your turn, you actually will have a handful of dice that you'll have chosen before the game, and you'll roll those, and depending on what faces you get is what fuel you have for spells, basically. And this does a couple things. First off, it declutters any sort of magic fueling cards or mana cards or land cards from your deck, making it so that it's a lot more focused and can be a bit smaller, I find, than other card duelers. But this also gives a sort of a variance. You can't really, like in other card duelers, you're not building an engine for that. It's just kind of a thing that'll have some variance, but also there's ways to influence that so that you're not completely hooped if you just have a bad roll. And with this sort of controlled chance, I find it kind of levels the playing field a little bit, as well as introduces some nice variation between turns. Another great thing about this game is the deck exhaustion mechanic. Because your deck is so lean, there's no sort of fuel cards in there. It makes it so that when the game, at least, does it so that if you run out of cards in your deck, you just start to take damage. And this is a great way of sort of limiting the playtime as well as making certain playstyles sort of focus on this longer game type thing. But a huge thing and a huge feather in this game's cap is just how varied the different characters are. If you buy the base set, you get six different Phoenixborn, and of course they have different sets. It's a living card game where you buy packs and they have certain cards, but each pack will have a new Phoenixborn, and all of these play incredibly different. They all kind of have a focus, and all of those so far are for me. I haven't gone through all of them because, it, geez, it's a big catalog. This game, since it's the second edition, there's a lot of content out there. But the ones I have gone through have been remarkably different. The asymmetricality and different play styles of them is certainly not just lip service. They play totally different, and the whole point of their deck and everything they build to is totally different. This game does have deck building, where you can, at the start of the game, you choose a Phoenixborn, and then you can actually choose what cards you get from your collection into your main deck, which already can make it incredibly different when you square off, but even then, the basis of your deck and kind of the special abilities of your Phoenixborn are giving you a, a jumping off point from which to build your deck, but all of them are so different that it really makes it super rewarding to play and try different things and try new combos and new matchups against each other. As much as they're different, they are quite well balanced against each other. So yeah, just this huge amount of variety in playstyle I found to be really rewarding, and so far I've mostly played with a different person every time, trying a new thing and new levers, new abilities, and new comparisons to make. Yeah, there's just endless options for how you want to play this game. Even then, they do have included rules for, it's a usually a dueler, 2v2, and I think that's where, or 1v1, where it really shines, but you can play it as a 4 you know, a four-player free-for-all, which I think is really interesting. Or you can even do a card draft where you have certain cards and you kind of sort of build your deck on the fly with everyone else sort of drafting and competing for cards. As well as the magic user dueler game, especially a card game, is certainly not something that is entirely new. And in these games, a nice nod here is that, I mean, I haven't played the first edition, but the second edition, the 
legalese or the card rules on each of the cards is very well done. In all the games that Caitlin and I had played, there was only a few times where we got caught up on the legalese of the actual playing, which is usually not the not the way with these kind of more these competitive sort of card games. But it does a decent job of still being meaty and giving you stuff to play with. You're trying to make these decks and build this into a combo, but it gives you a fair bit to work with. And it's super interesting as I discover uh, the new characters and kind of from the base set and some expansions open them up and see what new cards are in there. Yeah, you're excited to find out how the Phoenixborn plays and how they're different, but it can't help but cross your mind as you're checking out these new cards how, oh, this card might work great for this person who uses that type of magic, or this, oh, this could help this person. And like these card, this deck building combos can't help but swirl through your mind as you explore this game. As well, another thing that it kind of twists on this genre is most of the time in these games, it's one person does 10 things and then the other person has their turn and you take turns basically sitting there for five minutes while the other player goes through their move. I mean, not always five minutes, but Ashes actually varies it up. You get one action and a little bonus action each turn or yeah, each turn of the combat. So yeah, you'll have an overarching strategy and be like, okay, I'm going to do this and then this and then this. But between those, your opponent will have chances to do things as well. So it makes the actual playing experience a lot more dynamic. You're not going to do your thing and do your five things and hope that it works out. You're going to do one thing, hope it works, two thing, hope it works, and keep going like this. And this just really changes up how this game plays. You really will be paying attention the whole time as your opponent's turns are not very long. And because they have such an impact on what you're doing in the play state, you can't help but be a lot more engaged throughout the experience of this game. As well, all the art on the cards is very lovely. It's interesting to see more kind of creative, the different spells and creatures and how they flavor each deck to kind of be towards a certain, I mean, Phoenixborn, yeah, the different characters, but they all kind of have their own sort of style of magic. And that's kind of interesting to see it go through and how they sort of flavor these. But yeah, all the art in this game is very lovely. As well as, yeah, all this variety of play really through our plays, I really got the sense that this could be a game that if you have a group that loves card battlers like this, this could be your game for like two years. The amount of depth here is incredible. And as much as we're trying to really go through this and uh, cover it for review and explore its nooks and crannies, there is an ocean of possibilities here. It would be super interesting to do a like... If you haven't played this game before, if you have a group of friends who maybe they love magic or, you know, any of the other sort of dueling magic card games, it would be really interesting to sort of set a pace and be like, okay, if we're going to hang out every week and play this game, everyone get the base set for the first, you know, bit, and then slowly introduce these packs and expansions into it. And I would be super interested to see how a meta evolves over time, how different strategies and just the everyone getting the same like pack or something every week to kind of keep it fresh and interesting would be really could lead to really incredible play here there is a huge amount of room for being really clever with your deck building with your play style with your different combinations that you want to do here and i think there's a huge depth for competition here it's something that you could certainly explore for a long time as well as through the various games i got of this 
I didn't really have any bad games, which I mean, I keep saying this usually for card battlers or whatever, but really here I didn't have any dramatically like bad times playing it. Sometimes you can just get bad matchups in these sort of card dueling ones. And while I would say a con of this game is that, yeah, all of the Phoenix Born play so different and with different player skill levels and different kind of deck building combos, maybe they're trying something out and it just doesn't work. Uh, occasionally you will get a swingy game, but I found this is way less the case than many other of these types of games that I've played before. Really, you're not going to have any terribly sour grapes with this. And I think it does a decent job of being sort of a balanced experience most of the time. With the exception, yeah, it can get a little swingy, but even when you do, it's still kind of fun. And it's not quite as crushing or defeating as in other games like this. Another con that I would give it is that it's not quick. <laughs> and that's fine. It's just know that it is probably going to be an hour, hour and a half type game as opposed to the half hour to 40 minute type game. And maybe this is purely, <laughs> purely my uh, experience with this, but I just kind of, through reading it, got the impression that it was much shorter than it ever turned out to be. <laughs> uh, this is not, a, I mean, unless you're going to play for a long time, it's not a game where you're going to get four games in an evening. It's not quick, but it's also very rewarding for it. And the times, you know, in our plays that did take a long time, it certainly didn't feel like it through the actual playing. So yeah, that's Ashes Reborn. As you're probably picked up, I'm enormously positive on this one. This absolutely gets the Meeple in a Game Stack shelf-worthy award. It is, I think it's my favorite of these kind of dueling card games. It changes the, changes, I guess, the meta or the usual up in a really satisfying ways. It offers almost near endless variety in its play styles and how you choose to play. And just at its core, it's incredibly mechanically solid and fun to play. So yeah, this one is a really great game and one that we would highly recommend. And it's really great to see Plaid Hat Games really kind of tuning in to how beloved this game was and making a second edition of it. And with this second edition, it's they're doing kind of interesting model for it in that basically as long as it sells, they're going to keep supporting it. So... If this has sounded interesting to you at all, I would say try it out. I think it's something that is absolutely worth supporting, and I'd love to see it kind of keep going for a while. But yeah, that is Ashes Reborn, Rise of the Phoenix. And that's going to do it for our podcast. As always, big thanks to the artist Grumpy Snorlax for the use of their song Cerulean as our intro and outro music. If you've enjoyed this, if you thought it was interesting and heard about some interesting games, or just enjoyed listening to it, please tell a friend, tell a board game group, tell an online community, or whatever. Through word of mouth is the best way to help this podcast grow. And if you do have any questions, please let us know. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. You can always just send us an email at meepleinagamestack at gmail.com. We appreciate your questions and would love to answer it on the show. So if you have any burning desires or want to know more about any of the games we've talked about, let us know. But as always, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.